All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I am Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast, but I'm joined by Dr. DJ Gilliland. He is an athletic trainer. He's been an NATA member for 27 years. We talked last time about how he's an Eagle Scout. If you want to check out the last conversation, it's sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash preceptor. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash preceptor. And we talked about just some of the ways that he's seen people be excellent preceptors. And this one is don't be that preceptor. So when I was talking with some of my MAT students, one of the things that I saw was some people I feel like are preceptors just to get CEUs. And I was like, you get CEUs for being a preceptor? I didn't even know that. Right. <clears throat> and so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about it in that. Um, but um, this one is sport again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash don't be that preceptor there's no apostrophe because you can't put an apostrophe when you're typing in uh, links but don't be that preceptor is this one and i'll have you know the show notes and links anything that we mentioned there all right being a good preceptor you have to be a mentor you have to kind of give of yourself so that somebody else can be better even if it's uh, like it's going to cost you something sometimes some energy some emotional energy something like that right and so does adoption DJ Gilliland yeah. has uh, an adopted child, and I want to talk about that yeah. briefly. Just, just tell some of your adoption story, DJ. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me again. It's been, it's a pleasure. I, I see a couple of my former students have logged in, so that's kind of fun to see Courtney and 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 uh, uh, some other people that have logged in. So that's fun. Um, yeah, we adopted um, our daughter Taylor. Um, it's been nine. Uh, years ago, and uh, what we're coming up on uh, our our actual uh, uh, so it's a fun story. Um, it's a long story, so I'll give you the abridged version. But we we got approval on March the 29th of 2014. On April the seventh, uh, our birth mother picked us out of um a, a, a it's called a, a birth mother's book uh, through our adoption agency and it was a different 10 different families and uh we <clears throat> we um were the the only family that they chose and um so it was a really like i said it's a really cool long story but uh so taylor was born in san angelo texas and we were living in abilene at the time and when her birth mother uh, made the decision and chose us, uh, Taylor actually went into uh, foster care for about two weeks. I don't three weeks. And uh, the the family that she went into foster care with, if we were to uh, draw a line from our front door and go straight due west, uh, out our front door, across a couple of housing. Uh, two streets over and you would end up in the back door of the family that was fostering her. Uh, and they were, they're their Sunday school teachers of uh, some really good friends of ours in Abilene. Um, and so all of our friends that went to that particular church um, got to meet Taylor because um, this family does a lot of uh, the foster um, kids for our adoption agency. And uh, uh 
we found out on uh, April 22nd, 2024, or 2014, we hadn't got to 24 yet, uh, 2014 that Taylor uh, was, uh, that we were chosen uh, to be uh, Taylor's uh, adoptive parents. And uh, we met Taylor uh, on the 23rd and uh, met her birth mother, Brittany. And uh, she's, you know, fantastic. And uh, we have an open relationship uh, with her. And uh, uh, then uh, on the 24th, Taylor, Taylor joined our family forever. And, uh, and so it's, it's really kind of, kind of awesome. You know, we love everything about the process. It was long and it was hard, but it was a a faith journey for us. And uh, it was just fantastic. And being a, being a girl dad has been just like the best thing ever. Uh, I love it. She's, uh, uh, she's like my little buddy. We go everywhere together. Um, She and she and I, unfortunately, she probably has a little bit more of my personality than mama's. And uh, so we can butt heads sometimes a little bit, but you know, um, I I was born with a hereditary bone disease, and I always knew that um, there was a 50-50 chance of that being passed on to our children. And so I'd already had a heart for adoption, um, and we struggled for oh probably about <clears throat> almost ten years uh, with infertility. Uh, we had several miscarriages. And, uh, we just, we just knew that that's what God was calling us to do is to, to adopt. And, uh, uh, we would, we're, we're looking to hopefully get back in, uh, to that process again, and maybe even, uh, looking at just being foster parents at some point as well. But, uh, no, I, we have a lot of great friends that have adopted over the years and, uh, uh, firmly believe in, in providing a home and, and opportunities. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a great story. I'd love to tell more about it sometime. If you ever wanted to do just an adoption show, <laughs> that'd be fun. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we are strong advocates for it and, uh, it was a fun, fun journey. Now, now you, have you adopted as well? Yeah. So March, uh, in March, the world shut down for COVID of 2020 and then in april on april 1st we got our first foster daughter well the the one that we adopted and then a year later in october a year and a half later um in october her sister came to live with us and then mm-hmm. uh thir- 360 days later we adopted both of them and so yeah wow it, it's a huge journey and it and just like I talked about in the beginning, it takes a lot of um, giving of yourself to, to have yeah. kids. And, you know, as an athletic trainer, everybody that listens to the podcast knows I'm, I work at a 6A high school, which is the biggest high school uh, in the state of Texas or biggest category. Yeah. And then I work full time as an athletic trainer. You know, I, I have lots of late nights and lots of games, but we still, like you said, we, we felt like God said, do this not so we can yeah. expand our family. We already had three biological and it was about giving of ourselves so that somebody Absolutely. else would have that opportunity. And so, yeah, Taylor's a big part of uh, my athletic training journey. You know, um, she, all of, all of our students know her. Um, it, I don't know if my, my former students are still on or not, but um, 
I mean, she'd come up to class and lab with me all the time. She always wants to know, Daddy, are we going to go teach with the big kids today? And uh, she, I, I've got pictures of her working in lab and, you know, I use it for recruiting purposes. We start them early around here. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, she's, she's a great uh, part of our journey, not only, you know, as part of our family, but also just our extended family within athletic training. So that's awesome, Jeremy. Tell me uh, a, probably the worst story you've heard of a preceptor. So while you're thinking, one of my students uh, mentioned, you know, one of the ways that you can be a really good preceptor is by sharing life and not just athletic training, like, oh, here, here's this task or here's this kind of thing. And by you bringing up your daughter, it, it's you sharing your life. By me sharing my my kids, yeah. you know, they came up and, and they're part of it. You know, I have pictures of them, those kind of things. Um, <laughs> so there you go. It says Margaret. Yeah, message. there it is. When Taylor was in class. So sharing <laughs> yeah. life is a way you can be a great preceptor. So that's also a way yeah. you can be a poor preceptor is not sharing anything personal, not investing in them outside of the specifics of the classroom. So DJ, let's, let's go with the, the horror story, something that went yeah, really well, bad as a preceptor. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell on myself on this one early on in my career, man, I think one of the, the worst mistakes I ever made uh, as a, as a young professional in a preceptor role was right out of grad school. And it's hard in that transition you you know, back in the old days, you, you had the reins pulled, held on you pretty, pretty tight and you weren't allowed to do. Um, and then finally, when you get to grad school, you're you're allowed to do. And now you get your first job and oh, well, now you're supervising students as well. And well, all the things that, you know, you were said, no, I've got to check this off or I need to double check or now that's up to you. And you've got this big sense of responsibility. Well, the team, it's the, you know, my responsibility is the team. My responsibility is the athletes. I don't really want these students. It's just, you know, part of my job. And, and uh, my first, my first, uh, my first couple of years, I struggled with that. You know, I struggled being a, a mentor. I struggled with giving up opportunities to allow students to, uh, evaluate, treat, um, make decisions um, in structured environment. I just, you know, no, you're you need to pay your dues. You need to you need to go set up the field. You worry about the court. You worry about the field. You worry to make sure everybody, all the water's done, all the kits are stocked. You you got to take care of all that. And when then when I trust you, then I'll let you do things. And um, that was probably the the biggest mistake and and that I think you know horror stories you you hear a lot of things out there in the education world with preceptors and students and but in reality I think a lot of it's just misunderstanding and communication issues uh particularly with you know with young professionals coming out and again like I was mentioning um having that sense of responsibility it's finally my time to be the the licensed healthcare provider. It's finally my time to make decisions and I'm responsible for this. And I don't know that I'm going to be able to, you know, handle having a student and taking care of, I don't know how to teach. I don't know how to, you know, share what I'm doing. Um, I wasn't given those opportunities. I don't, you know, all of those things can Really, what I would, you know, kind of say is um, 
give you a little bit of a disadvantage. Uh, and it puts the students in, in, a, in a tough spot as well. Uh, what we what we really try to do uh, with our preceptors is particularly with the ones that are eager to be preceptors and they're just right out of school. Uh, what we try to do is we, we really try to make sure that they're paired up with a good um, faculty mentor at their facility or an athletic training mentor. And and mo- and we're fortunate here in Lubbock. Most of our our young professionals that come out, um, they're they're at a high school with the season you know, veteran, if you will. And, and so they're sharing responsibilities and they're learning in, in multiple ways. And we've had really good success, but we, you know, we, we look at, you know, what their desire is just because like, you know, I mentioned last week or two weeks ago, whenever we were on last, just because you've got a, a, a licensed and certified healthcare professional there that can be a preceptor for you doesn't mean they necessarily want to be a preceptor, you know, just because, you know, they may be at the best high school or the best clinic or uh, whatever, they may not want to be a preceptor and, and that's okay. You know, and I think sometimes we have to realize that now we're again, fortunate we're in Lubbock. We have, you know, just here locally 48. And, and so, um, it's okay if we have a, a preceptor that says, you know, I'd like to take a break. Uh, we've got we've got backups. It makes it more difficult when you're in, you know, smaller university settings that, you know, may not may not have a whole lot of athletic training um, options, you know, from a clinical site perspective within their within their radius. And so you you really are kind of dealt with the cards, you know, that are given to you. And so you've got to learn to 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 work with each other on that. But for me, it was always, you know, not giving up the control and or not control, but the opportunities. And, uh, you know, sadly enough, I, I, you know, created some some disconnect between students early on because of that. And uh, that needs, you know, as I grew, it, it became more uh, easier for me to say, all right, when somebody comes in, you're going to be the first one to take a history and where are you in class? And well, and, and the whole mindset of, well, when, when I was at this point, I knew this, I, I got rid of those, those thoughts. Um, and, you know, gosh, that, that was a long time ago. Now you think about it, but it still happens and it can still happen even on busy days with, with seasoned athletic trainers is, well, I've got to, I've got to handle this and you take care of this. And again, goes back to communication, clearly defining what our roles are going to be, clearly defining the expectation of the of the clinical site. Um, I do an exercise uh, with our students when they when they come in during the summertime uh, with our first year cohorts. And 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 it's basically our assumptions class. And uh, it's one of our first times together. And I do I do this exercise where. Uh, I have everybody go around the room and, and talk about what, what are their assumptions of, of grad school? What, what are your assumptions of, you know, being a successful grad student? What are you assuming that you need to do? What are you assuming about this class? Uh, what are your assumptions of me? And then and then I get to do the same thing with, with them because they all come in with a bachelor's degree, you know? Uh, they've all had human anatomy and physiology. They've had biomechanics. They've had ex-phys. They've had nutrition. And so 
we've got these assumptions that they have a really solid base of knowledge and they've got the assumptions that we've got all the answers. And, but in reality is that we don't have all the answers and everybody's coming from a different background from an undergraduate perspective. And some may have a really, really strong background in ex-phys. Some may have a really strong background in anatomy. Uh, and some may just be more of a generalist, you know? Um, and so we both, we come to the agreement at the end of the day that there's a lot for us to learn together and there's a lot for us to, to grow together. And so when we can communicate those things uh, and get those out, then and, and have those clear expectations, then it makes it a lot easier so that we don't, you know, we can avoid those pitfalls of, you know, this, well, this is the way it's always done. And this is my way or the highway. And, you know, um, I'll, you handle all the bench stuff and I'll handle all the injuries, you know? Um, and that's, that's really what I was like early on in my career. And it's embarrassing to say that, but I think at some point we, we all have a little bit of that in us and, depending on the situation or anything, you know, particularly when we're, we're, when we're young now. So I think that's probably the best answer I can give you. And it's long and drawn out and I talk too much. I apologize. All right. So got to take a drink. Just recently we had uh, a baseball tournament and Kennedy was there with me and we had a kid from the opposing team catch a ball with his lippet one hopped off his off the ground and hit him right here and he had braces so he had like four of the braces embedded in his his lip we had to had to pull out you know and it's one of those things where <clears throat> last time we talked you talked about allow them to to do the injury stuff but you know that's a varsity tournament you got a kid yeah. it's like I, I, okay what do i do here and so yeah like, all right well kenny was standing right beside me and you know i i had on the glove and i, I had i literally had to pull the kid's lip up and then down and then do that like four times mm. it's like okay well let's go to the bathroom you can take a look at it you can check your teeth and that kind of thing and the kids are just like drooling blood everywhere and so wow. in situations like that yeah i don't um i don't want to uh it's not that i don't want to give up control but it's like it's a right. situation where i have to take care yeah. of it quickly however since yeah. we've talked last time I have been able to, like, we completed our CPR day where we trained an entire sophomore class. Uh, and there was 490 kids that came through wow. life-saving skills. But because of our conversation, I said, hey, Kennedy, can you organize the volunteers? Can you assign them mm-hmm. this, you know, this person to this? And whenever they got here, everybody knew what they were going to be doing. They knew their groups. And she was able to go, okay, well, you go here, you go here, you go here. And then we went and walked through each of their rotations and gave them, mm-hmm. you know, that way they had a little bit of practice before all the kids came. Because last time you told me, give up that control, give, assign yeah. them something. And then, you know, we have a kid coming in off a of sol- shoulder surgery. I was like, okay, here, Kennedy, you do the eval, you do the initial conversation. You're going to be here until the end of the school year. You follow them through right. the rehab process. You, um, you know, you create the plan. We're going to look at it and talk about it and see if there's anything we need to do and go from there. And so it really has been, um, I don't know about transformational, but maybe that's the right. Mm-hmm. We're transformational in that whenever I can say, okay, it's okay for me to give up that control. Then I can really do well. One of the things I want to ask is, uh, scheduling and, you know, like being, mm-hmm. um, I guess a good, a friend maybe rather than like a mentor. Um, <clears throat> and so when we first started, we we're like, okay, well, here's the schedule. We're going to just give you a schedule and you can just show up to whatever games you want. But then it's kind of mm-hmm. like, well, we don't know. Are you, are we expecting you there? Are we not expecting you there? Are we expecting you here right. at this time or, you know, at not that time? Um, 
So tell me a little bit about some of the things that good preceptors have done or poor preceptors have done, or maybe some lessons that you've learned about um, as far as scheduling and, and maintaining that like accountability with the, uh, with your students. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, one of the things that I always encourage our, our student or our preceptors is, um, <clears throat> you know, particularly with our high school um, uh, and secondary athletic training preceptors, I, t I tell them, think of them as an extension of, of, of your staff with limited responsibilities. And the things that, that you expect of your staff need to be the same. And they, but they need to be different than what are expected of your student aides because they're, they're more than a student aide, but they're not a full-time staff member. And so um, one, one of the key things that, um, you know, with, with our Katie standards is that there has to be a, a visible difference, you know, between, uh, you know, for patient protection purposes, the, the patients have to know that the graduate athletic training student is, is in fact a student and they're there uh, to learn and to grow. And that part of, part of their experience being a student athlete or a patient in that facility is, is being evaluated just like a resident uh, or, you know, a nursing student or, you know, PT student, whatever. And so I always encourage um, our, our preceptors, you know, they always ask, well, what, what kind of dress are they going to have? Or what kind of dress code do y'all prefer? What, uh, what do we need to do for them? Uh, what are the preferences? And I was like, really, I would expect you guys to, to take this as, and look at it as like a semester long interview process. If you, if you really wanted to, um, particularly like with immersions and everything, but what, what I really encourage them, I was like, well, it starts out with, you know, the professionalism aspect and so if, if you guys have a certain dress code that you guys hand or, you know, y'all stay within, but your student aides are different, then I encourage you, that's what our graduate students need to be. They need to be seen by the student population and the patient population that, that you're on a different level. You're not on the same level, but you're at a different level than students. And, you know, one of the things that our students and I'm sure other students across the country really despise is their name badges and their name tags and everything else. And I always try to remind them, well, you need to get used to it because if you really go work at a high school, you've got to have them on all the time, you know, to get anywhere in the building, you've got to have it. We have to have it here in our building. So, you know, well, why do we, well, it's just what we do. And so we have a couple of different name badge options. They have their, they have their picture ID badge, you know, and then they have a nameplate that they that we use a little bit more in formal settings or and things like that. But we we make I mean we require them to have a name badge on at all times so that that the student and the patient population can can know for fact that they're a graduate student athletic athletic training student and they're there as part of the immersion or part of their clinical experience. Um, the other thing is that initial visit we talked about. Uh, we we sometimes see. Um, and it's and it's and again it's it goes back to communication on the program's part as equally as much as the preceptors is the program communicating with you hey these are the things that you need to do before our students get there you you really need to sit down and have an orientation with them um, you need to go over all of these things uh, do you have something that you would like for them to have beforehand 
what are your expectations? Do you have graduate student expectations that you would like for us to provide our students before they come out so that they could be familiar? And then y'all go over those together in the meeting, uh, your pre your pre-placement meeting. And I think that helps to get everybody on the same page. For scheduling purposes, uh, we we try to we try to keep a pretty you know um, it, I wouldn't say strict but structured uh, schedule with our students. We we give our obviously our facilities complete autonomy uh, with the schedule. Uh, we give them guidelines to stay within scheduling. Um, you know we. We follow ACGME uh, guidelines for uh, residency. And so like when they're on immersion, um, immersion's 40 hours minimum. They have to have 40 hours a week um, because it's supposed to be a complete totality of athletic training. And uh, some some of our facilities um, are 40 hours a week. And some of them are, you know, traditional high school, college uh, intercollegiate settings where, you know, there's no such thing as a 40 hour week. Um, and, uh, in those situations, uh, you know, we, again, we follow those ACGME guidelines and we, we have a, we use a two week average and we don't want our students averaging more than, uh, 85 hours over the two weeks, you know? And so they can have a real heavy week, one week and a, and a little bit lighter week, depending on game schedules, and everything like that. But, you know, we try to do that. And then they have to have one day off in every seven. Um, they have to have a full day off in every seven and they have to have uh, at least eight hours between shifts. They have to have a full eight hours between any type of shift. And uh, that's, uh, that's really important for us. We talk a lot about, you know, maintaining good uh, work-life balance, not only for our students, but also for our preceptors. And, uh, you know, we understand that when they're off, they need to be off. Um, and so, uh, we, we try to let our students know that, you know, they're, if you've got one preceptor and that's their day off, then that's your day off too, you know? And, uh, and they sometimes enjoy that. And sometimes they get frustrated. Well, I was hoping I could go in that day, you know? From a scheduling perspective, we, we really leave that up to, you know, our our preceptors and uh, we remind them that they're also graduate students. The one, you know, when they're still in school, you know, we, we're traditional. I, we have probably a really traditional approach to clin ed. They're in class in the mornings. And they go to clinic in the afternoons. And so while the, the hour requirements by Katie aren't what they used to be, uh, we still put in some guidelines for our students to follow and they're scaffold. Um, they're early on in the, you know, their, their, uh, clinical placements, uh, you know, they're not in the clinic as, as long, uh, based on hour wise, uh, but they increase as they, they progress through the program. Um, but we play, we place a, a high premium on patient encounters over hours. And so, we talk about quality versus quantity. And that was always, you know, I remember back in the 20 hour a week rule, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure that um, that cost me a job one time because I was in an interview about, oh gosh, just 22 years ago. And I was asked, well, what do you think about the new 20 hour a week rule and the restrictions that that's going to provide students? And I'm like, well, that's great. I think it's awesome because they need to be students too. And, 
they need to do this. And that was the exact opposite of what they wanted to hear. And so I didn't get that job, but uh, you know, so I don't know. I always say that's where I went wrong is I didn't, I didn't drink the Kool-Aid then, but, um, but I get it. I get it. You know Um, it's, it's not like it used to be uh, and it doesn't have to be, but there still needs to be some time of some type of realistic expectation of this is what the job looks like. uh, And this is what is entailed. This is the type of, um, you know, work that's involved on top of patient encounters and patient load and, and clinical decision-making and administration and, and all of those things that wrap up in athletic training. And so uh, we place a premium on patient encounters versus just, um, you know, the amount of time that they're in, because unfortunately they could, they could be in a clinic for, for, you know, 20 hours a week and never see a patient, you know, uh, never put their hands on somebody. And that's not a good clinical experience. That's just really an observation and maybe doing, you know, uh, manual labor. And that's, that's not being a healthcare professional, you know, that's just being extra help. Yeah. So that's one of the complaints or the comments that I've seen from uh, the interviews or the, the conversations that I've had with MAT students is they felt like they were either just a field setup crew or they're having their hands held the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. And so, again, as we're talking about, don't be that preceptor. What are some of the other yeah. things that, that you've seen? You know, if we look at the, the negatives, then we can turn mm-hmm. around and find out how to do that in a positive way. What are some of the yeah. things that you've seen students say, complain about, uh, or other faculty members complain about the preceptors? Yeah, I th- we, we've got a really good example here within the last five years. Um, I just feel like I'm not getting any feedback. Um, I'm, I don't, you know, I'm there, I'm doing things and I just don't feel like I get any feedback. Uh, I I'm doing what they asked me to do. And, you know, a student athlete comes in, a patient walks in and, and I start the evaluation process and I get to the point as far as I can go in my skills. And I go to have that conversation with the preceptor and then the preceptor just looks at me. Okay. Well, what do you want to do now? And I'm frustrated because I don't know what I want to do, but they want me to tell them what I want to do. And I feel like I don't know what I'm supposed to do and I'm not getting any feedback. And so there's a couple of things in this one. Uh, one, we we really got to work on our critical thinking skills a lot better. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, I think that we've got to be better at, not only as practitioners, but also as students is uh, developing our critical thinking and our clinical reasoning skills. If this, then that. Why would I do this versus this uh, and and not being such uh, you know cookie cutter? And sometimes I think we want to be cookie cutter and not everything's going to be the same. You know, running for you is going to be great, Jeremy, and that's going to be wonderful. But running for me is not going to help. I see I see Jay Cyphers came in and, you know, Jay's got like a, a five, 15 year running streak going on. And uh, I, I, running's not good for me, you know, and so. I can't do that. And so what we need to do is go back to that communication piece. Okay. And, and talk about, okay, take me through your evaluation process. Okay. What would you do at this point? Okay. Now, what would you do? And so it's a little bit more of a guided debrief, if you will. Um, And again, 
it goes back to the communication and having a daily debrief and having all of these things. It may even be so much as, okay, I understand where you're coming from. Let's go look at this together. Okay. Uh, okay, so and let's I, take some, I, I, um, let me kind of interrupt you there. <clears throat> so as you're talking about this, like I'm just yeah. thinking through what I'm doing. And so I, since we talked last time, I tried to be more like, okay, Hey, you do it now. Tell me, what do you think you want to do next? And so, right. so as I'm saying, like say Jackie, my first year, you know, I said, Hey, Jackie, why don't mm-hmm. you do this eval? Cause you know, y'all just did the, the shoulder and that way you can have hands on there's, you know, it's nothing that's life threatening. Um, so then, so do I need to stand closer and then as she's going through it, say, okay, why are you thinking this? Or do let do I let her finish her thing and then come talk to me? And then we say, okay, well, why do you think that? Have you thought about this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it depends on the student, okay? Some students don't want to be questioned in front of other people because they're afraid that that's going to make them feel like they don't know anything. And it's going to make them look bad in front of the patient. Others are like, this is a learning opportunity. This is a learning environment. Question me all you want. I think one of the key things there is we can no longer assume that everybody can be taught the same way like we were. You know, well, why are you doing that in front of a patient may not be the most the best question question. Or tell me your, you know, at the in front of the patient may not be the best time to ask that question. Or why did you do this in front of the patient? Because now the patient might even be saying, oh my gosh, are they doing the wrong thing? So I think it's a balancing act. What do you, what, how, how is your relationship with the student? What does the student uh, feel comfortable with? And, and really it's falling forward again, you know, it's being, being there to help them. If they're going to fail, fail successfully but you don't have to do it in an embarrassing way or in a confrontational way. And I think that's where we get some of the complaints from students. And, and that's where I went wrong early on in my career it was in a confrontational way that, or it came across confrontational, but it wasn't meant to be confrontational. It was just meant, you know, that's the way I, it was done for me. And I'm just mimicking what it was like for me, you know? And so much of being a preceptor is, being the type of preceptor that you had, you know, if you had really good preceptors, then you may be a really good preceptor. If you struggled with preceptors and, you know, preceptors harped on you and harped on you. And, you know, that may be the way you translate that to teaching students, you know, it's kind of like parenting, you know, uh, you, you, I hope I don't parent like my parents, you know, uh, because I just didn't think they did a good job, you know, but, you know, they think they did a good job, but um, I don't want to be that type of parent, you know, and so, so to answer that question, I would say, I would say, let her go through the evaluation process and then have a conversation, you know, let her, you know, hey, I'm going to go review this with my, my preceptor. I'll be back and we'll talk about what our next steps are. Uh, and then y'all have a conversation and then work through the, her questions, your questions, and then and then let her go back and find out more information. Um, I learned that really well with uh, my very first students at Northwest Missouri State. Um, and I really think they made me a better preceptor early on because they'd come into the room and they'd ask me a question and, or 
I'd be out there and maybe looking at somebody and they'd ask me a question. And I was like, well, well, I don't know. Why don't you go tell me? Why don't you go look that up and tell me? And it'd be a race. They wouldn't know this, but it'd be a race for me to go look it up to make sure that I was saying the right thing. And, but they made me a better person just by asking those questions and us walking through those things together. And, and if you don't know, you don't know, it's okay. You know, one of the best things I ever saw from a preceptor, it was a physician, one of our team docs there in Abilene. I was there observing one of uh, a new surgery technique that he was about to do. And uh, we were, we were in the, the locker room getting, getting ready. And uh, he goes over his, his locker, he sits down and he pulls out a, a surgical technique book and he's sitting there and uh, um, he's going through it. And I said, I thought you said you've done this before. He goes, I, Oh, I, I've done this a lot. I was like, but you said it was new. He said, well, it's new to you. It's not new to me. And, uh, but this is what I do. I just kind of refresh my mind about these things and, and that's okay. And I've heard other, you know, med students do that and other doctors do that and you know it's okay and so that it's kind of a balancing act you know what is going to be comfortable for the student and what's going to be comfortable for the patient you know all right so the podcast is about to end we're going to continue on the instagram live for just a little bit um so on the podcast audio again if you want to catch the little bit before and the little bit after we started the the zoom recording you could always check it out on instagram sports medicine broadcast check out the instagram live you see um all of our facial expressions and my eyes shifting back and forth as i'm typing notes or looking at the zoom or getting distracted right um so if you want to check that out check out the full recording on Instagram live. I know Cody Painter watching the whole thing said he yeah. comes back to communication. I think he's working in pro baseball. He was down here at, at U of H as well, but Cody was one of my preceptors. To, yeah. So if you want yeah. to reach yeah. out to Dr. DJ Gilliland, then most likely you can find him on Twitter. And then if you look for D J G I L I L A N D Gilly lend then you can find him there or as i always say you can just find one of my recent center in, recent interactions yeah. and you will have liked or retweeted or something like that um so again reach out to dr dj there and as we kind of follow his journey and we would love to hear other athletic trainers adoption story so this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash uh don't be that preceptor again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash don't be that preceptor traffic jams tailgating pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.